1: welcome into to another edition of the cyclone fanatic podcast it's corner three on a friday afternoon friday morning i guess uh as always presented by our friends at mechdyne you can learn more about them at dot uh scott christopherson what's
2: up man how was your week uh week's good man uh you know it's uh First week back at grad school classes, so it's kind of chaotic just trying to get that in mm-hmm. with all of the other parenting responsibilities that I have now and try to get some semblance of a, a routine back, but uh, or I'm hanging in there.
1: Yeah, yeah, good to hear it, dude. Uh, all right, an interesting been an interesting week. A lot of news uh, in the world of basketball. Obviously, Iowa State lost to West Virginia the other night when uh, – when they played so we'll talk about that one look ahead to tomorrow when the cyclones will host kansas state in a must-win game at hilton coliseum uh, and then tyrus halberton was also traded this week so we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, after the nba tread deadline um all right let's First, let's touch on West Virginia, man. I don't really know what more there is to say. Uh, A lot of these games have just kind of become the same script over and over again. You know, it's like the same. You're like watching the same movie over and over and you (laughs) generally know how it's going to end. Man, they just can't. They keep digging themselves these holes, man. And when you, you know, you get down 11 to five, like they did the other night, uh, West Virginia hits three of their first four, three pointers. One of the worst three point shooting teams in the country, uh, hits, you know, three of their first four gets some confidence. All of a sudden it's just all downhill from there. And even though I was able to battle back a little bit in the second half, it just, it never really felt like, you know, they were threatening to actually win the game, uh, I mean, it's just unfortunate, dude. A six-point de- deficit feels like it's 25, you know, for for this team. And uh, being able to cut into things like that is just so hard right now. And, you know, I thought Chris made a good point. I was listening to him on the radio the other day. It's so much more frustrating when your team can't score than when they can't defend you know because you know that when when you can score it doesn't matter if you get behind a little bit you know that you can make a burst and kind of come back from something man when you can't score like it just is you get behind early in the game and you're like well shit I mean I guess it's over (laughs) you know unless something really crazy happens and I don't know that was kind of my thought coming out of out of Tuesday
2: night yeah I think that uh it's frustrating when you can't score. I think it's also frustrating when we've seen this team play better against good competition earlier in the season. And so when you see them struggling on defense, struggling to turn turnovers into points, you know, it, it really, it's like a double whammy, right? Like we can't score. And now we're really not defending at an elite level anymore. We're not dominating the loose ball game. Um, you know, we got a few more offensive rebounds the other night, but we don't convert it into anything. And so, yeah, you just, you know, you want to try to find something to be positive about, but you know, what we've seen the last couple of weeks, it's uh, it's been a tough go of it for Iowa state. And you know, there, there still is time Uh they have seven games to go. And I think you and I were texting the other day, you said, do you think seven wins would get them in? So you win a seven game series against the big 12 and and you're probably going to the NCAA tournament, but man, as a fan, you don't, I don't have a great feeling in my gut about the, 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 where, where this team is trending. No. And
1: I mean, I think the good thing, you know, you get four of these last seven at home. I think that the four, you have to win those four home games. And if you mm-hmm. lose one, then you have to win one on the road, you know? And the thing I will say is I don't know that any, sorry, okay. Okay outside of the season finale on the road at Baylor. I don't know that any of these are unwinnable, you know, mm-hmm. ones that it's like you go into and it's like, man, it, their odds of being able to win are so incredibly slim that I just, I I don't even know if I want to entertain that possibility. Uh, but, you know, I think Kansas state's a game you can win. I think you can go on the road and beat TCU, even though they played pretty bad that first time that the, that those teams matched up. Oklahoma and West Virginia at home, or both games are going to be favored in. Uh, Kansas state on the road. Like, I think that's a game that you can go down and win in, in Manhattan. So it's like there's winnable opportunities out there, but at the same time, there's been other times where we thought they had a win- winnable opportunity and they haven't been able to to show up and, um, and get the job done. And I think that was what was frustrating to me Tuesday night is that there's so many things that they just, I mean, they just don't help themselves in so many ways, you know, specifically one I think I can think of is the free throw shooting. You got one of six from the free throw line in the first half. And, you know, they finished the game two of 12 or 12 of 22. So you went 11 of 16 in the second half. But like, by that point, it didn't really matter. Like 12 of 22 is not good enough for them from the free throw line to be able to win consistently in the big 12, you know? And like, that's just, you've got to be better in those kinds of areas. And this team just has so many of those little things that crop up over and over and over again.
2: Yeah. Not, and that's not going to get it done from the free throw line, especially when your defense has taken a step back. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, this team, I mean, early on this year, and I said this on our last podcast, they seem like the most desperate team in the building every night. And I mean that in a good way Uh, they were the hungrier team. And then their, their defense was play being played at a, a high, high level. And they were able to manufacture points off of that defense and do enough in the half court to win games. And so right now, uh, we're not manufacturing points off of our defense and our defense is not what it was early in the season. I don't see, I didn't see a team in West Virginia that looked like it was aware that it's back is getting closer and closer to being up against the wall. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping on Saturday, we see a team that feels like it's backs against the wall. And it's now or never and comes out with that sort of urgency. I hope they're the hungrier team on Saturday. And I think if we start to see that some of these things will correct themselves, it won't ever be perfect for them. But if they're not the hungrier team against any of these teams you just mentioned, I think it'll be very difficult for them to beat any of them.
1: I think that sense of urgency is the important one. And I think especially early in games, Man, it just doesn't seem like they, like they have a sense of urgency late in the game, but they can't, they have to play all 40 minutes with that sense of urgency, you know? And that's what I think is, that's what's been really annoying the last couple of weeks. There's been a couple, like, you know, I've said that's a, a couple of times now, but man, when you start a game and you know, you've lost a couple, or, you know, like last week against Kansas, like when you've got that kind of game coming into town and you know, it's a big time game, a big time environment, like you've got to come in with a sense of urgency of like, we have to win this game. Right. And there's no other option, you know? And I just haven't gotten, I just haven't gotten that vibe from this team watching them the last couple of weeks that they have that sense of urgency from this jump every night out
2: that they need in order to to win at that rate. Like where, like where is the team that we saw out in New York for two games or, you know, when Iowa came to town and, and Hilton was rocking and this team just seemed to feed off the, 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 the crowd. Like, where is that? You know, like we, we saw them go for 10 minutes to start the game at Creighton and played not very well offensively. And they just willed their way to the last 30 minutes of the game where they played much better. I I just, you know, I'm not saying they're not playing somewhat hard and I'm not saying that they're not that like they've quit or anything like that, but they just don't seem to play with the same desperation then the same sense of urgency that they did early this year and you know we talk about beating ourselves how many games in a row do we have to foul a three point shooter on a jump shot right I, that's not playing hard that's not playing good defense or hustling that's hurting yourself and we've done it how i mean there we have done that a lot this year how many live ball turnovers do we have to make just trying to get into our offense where we give the other team a dunker layup at the other end and now we've started this new trend where every game we're going to come out and give the other team two or three wide open threes to start the game and a couple of layups. So we could just do away with that and just tell the refs, just give them 15 and we're just going to try to, cause that's kind of what we're forcing ourselves to do when we do this. And we already have talked over and over again about our limitations offensively. So you know, the, not being able to score is frustrating, but just watching us hand the other team 15 points because of a lack of, in my opinion, focus and attention to detail—that to me is more frustrating than the scoring part of it, quite honestly.
1: Yeah, and it was it was interesting today to see um, some of, to hear some of TJ's comments that he made with the the media, you know, talking about how this will not be the time or this you know, the the rotations and things like that have been very predictable uh, so far this season. I think that he is probably open to making changes to that rotation now if it means getting someone on the floor who is going to give him that sense of urgency that you need, you know, and is going to come out and be locked in. And if that means changing the starting lineup or whatever else, I I mean, I think that that's the, I think that's a good call, you know, and I think we saw that a little bit Tuesday night. Jaden Walker played, I mean, obviously, I think he played more minutes in that one game, then he played in the entire rest of the season combined,
2: uh, 22 yeah, 20,
1: almost 22 minutes. Yeah. 22 minutes. I think he'd played like 16 minutes or something like that. The entire rest of the season to this point, uh, Trey Jackson didn't play at all, uh, in the game. Like that was the first hint to me. It's like, okay, they're going to buckle back down on these guys and say, if you're not doing what you're supposed to do, you're not going to play. And that's it, you know, and I, that's what I appreciate because I felt like that was something that for a while got really lost where you could clearly see that people were not doing, you know, I'm thinking, I'm talking before TJ got back here last year, two years ago, you could clearly see that people were not doing what they were supposed to do. And no one was going to do anything about it, you Mm -hmm. know, and it didn't matter who came in and said things in the media who said they could say over and over, man, people aren't doing what they're supposed to do, but still nothing would change. I don't think TJ is afraid to do that. If someone doesn't do what they're supposed to do, he'll sit your ass on the bench and you're going to sit there for all 40 minutes.
2: Well, and I, I I think he'd rather play with five guys that are six foot four or shorter, but five guys that are going to go out there and and give it everything they have. Or on the other side of it, four players that are six foot seven or taller. If those guys are going to go like, he's just looking to find five guys now that are dialed in and locked in into in, in trying to, you know, get back to playing the way we saw this team earlier this season. And yeah, I, 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 I know TJ well enough to know that, you know, some of the things that we've been seeing of late, obviously we've got nine scholarship players. So you are a little bit limited, but in the big picture of what I'm sure he's wanting to accomplish at Iowa state, like that will not be tolerated in any shape or form mm-hmm. as we move forward. That, right. and, and I don't think he'll even mince words or make any apologies for that. No, and I, you know, I don't know what
1: the situation is with Trey necessarily. Uh, I think that there's probably some stuff going on behind the scenes there, but, you know, I'm interested to see if he can get back into the rotation tomorrow. I will say I thought Jaden Walker gave him a pretty good spark, you know, and I, I had not I I will say I was not a big believer in Jaden Walker. And when he was playing in the first half, I was, I knew that it might be a long night. I was like, okay, I'm not quite sure what, what we're going to get out of this, you know, his ability to attack the rack. He's a guy who's going to play downhill. You know, he's got some of the same limitations that he did last year where he he almost plays down to hill too hard uh, and can get himself into some trouble in those areas. But I think he gives them an interesting dynamic with him and Tyrese where they are two guys who can get to the rim, you know, Mm -hmm. and if nothing else, he might get to the free throw line a bunch of times, you know, and get some teams into foul trouble, which could, could be uh, beneficial, but I'm just intrigued to see how, you know, that can kind of continue to develop here over the next several weeks.
2: Yeah. And his activity level, I think he could be a guy on the offensive glass that could do some things for them, you know, and, and it's, Look, when you're a young player, I've been in that position when you're, you're looking for your opportunity. And, you know, this is where it's, it's nice to see a young guy get an opportunity. Uh, I wish it were under different circumstances, (laughs) quite honestly, but, and hopefully for his sake, he's able to capitalize and kind of carve out a role for himself on this team and then, you know, be a part, a little bit more part of the picture in future years. Cause you can see, I mean, he's got, you know, good size, good length. He's quick off the floor. So there, there's some tools there to work with. And, and now it's just about him trying to capitalize on his opportunities. And yeah, I mean, I don't know the situation with Trey either. I've been a big fan of Trey probably as big a fan as anybody that covers the team of Trey. Um, and he had a poor game in Texas and, you know, made some mistakes that you just can't make. And hopefully he's able to kind of recover from that and get himself back in the fold as well. Cause he's a you know really likable player, but you know, this is something that this entire team has struggled with individuals one through nine in the rotation have struggled with. You have to learn from your mistakes and you can't keep making the same mistakes over. And like when you look at Trey in the games where he's come in, taking care of the ball, knocked down shots as a spot up shooter within the offense and play good defense. He helps himself in the games where he comes out and tries to, uh, you know, do some things that I just don't think at this point in time are part of his game in the pick and roll. And, you know, in the open court, he gets himself in trouble. I could go down one through nine and pretty much say that about every player. So I'm not picking on him, but one of the things that's held this back team back. And one of the things for me, that's been the most frustrating, the most disappointing, they have not progressed very little, if any, Mm -hmm. in those categories from the beginning of the year to now and other teams are getting better and better and better. And that's why it seems like we're playing worse and worse. What's happening is everybody's passing us by because they're improving and learning from their mistakes. And we just continue to make the same ones over and over. I think Texas is the
1: perfect example of this. Anytime you turn that team on right now, they look better than they did the last time you watched them. Watch them the other night against Kansas. That team is dangerous right now. I, I was, I did a radio hit in Omaha yesterday and I said, if you're looking for a dark horse team when it comes to March, look at this one. They're as talented as anybody in the country. We knew that coming into the year with, with all the guys that they brought in from the transfer portal, it took them some time to be able to work through those things. But man, every time you turn them on right now, you look at them and it's like, Holy shit, that's a team that is as good as anybody in the league, you know? Right. And um, they've still got to play Kansas one more time. They still got to play Baylor twice. And they got to play tech one more time. That team might win the league. And they started <laughs> out like, in I, they started out when they came to Ames a couple weeks ago and I was like, man, that's not a very good team. But when you just keep playing, you keep getting better. You keep buying into your role. We're seeing where Marcus Carr is kind of coming on. Now, Andrew Jones and Courtney Rainey are playing great on the wings for him. And then they're, you know, piecing things together with those bigs with Trey Mitchell and Timmy Allen and so forth. That team is going to be a really hard out, but it speaks perfectly to what you're saying. They were not great in November, but man, they look like a really good team in, in mid-February. Iowa State and, and, was great in November and does not look like a very good team in mid-February.
2: And you can tell that every guy on that team is is figured out what their role is, locked into it, and focused on executing every detail of their role. And when you get seven or eight or nine players that do that, it, it, it comes together. I know Chris Will, Chris Williams had mentioned that, you know, this team looks tired, and I agree that they look tired. Every team in the country right now is probably a little bit tired. We are in the dog days of the season. And what gets you through that is the mental aspect of being locked into what you're doing. And yeah, we have some limitations. We only have nine scholarship players. In an ideal world, we'd have 12 or 13. So some of our starters are getting less reps in practice. I'm not discrediting that, but I just, to me, it's a lack of focus. It's a lack of attention to detail. It's more of an upstairs issue. And I think if, if we can change that, everybody will seem like they got a little more juice in their legs and we'll be able to play through some things that we were able to fight through earlier in the year. But I think as long as we kind of stay in, I would just call it like zombie mode where we're just kind of, we're in the dog days and we're just trying to get through it, man, it, I think it's going to be tough sledding for this team.
1: Yeah. It just seems like they're floating a little bit right now. It's not like they're attacking anything. You're just floating through it. You know, No. because I think, I, mean, I think a zombie mode is perfect way to put it. Yeah. All right, man. We'll, uh, we'll take a quick break and then we will come back. We'll talk about Kansas state really quick. And then we'll talk about Tyrese and uh, his situation in the NBA. All right. Right. We'll be right back on corner three on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network.
0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
1: Welcome back into Corner 3 here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Irish State and Kansas State coming up tomorrow afternoon at Hilton Coliseum, 3 p.m. tip. I uh, want to remind everybody, if you haven't gotten your tickets yet to the Nick Bassett uh, family game watch out at lucky horse. You can still do that right now, uh, all over Twitter and everything like that. I, I know Jacqueline's been putting it all on Facebook. Um, so make sure and check that out and, and, sh- uh, get out there to, to hang out with Chris and in the crew. Um, man, I, I don't know. I don't have much analysis for you on the wildcats. Uh, other than
2: I'm a huge Bruce Weber fan, I I was going to ask you, I, you told me we, you tweeted uh, we were tweeting back and forth about this earlier this year, and I was not up to speed on this. So give me the story on Bruce Weber being an elite basketball coach, dude. I don't, I don't even know how it started, but
1: I just somehow I became the Bruce Weber defender because Kansas state fans hate Bruce Weber, hate him. And that guy has won them two big 12 titles or I think he split two big 12 titles, but still, uh, him and Texas tech helped to, uh, end the, the Kansas's run a couple of years ago. And then I think he split one with Kansas, like in 2010 or something like that, maybe, uh, but man, his teams are weird. And I, I got a lot of respect for Bruce Weber because it's really hard in college basketball now to not rely on the transfer portal, not rely on junior college guys and quick fixes and like things like that. Bruce Weber will get a class as a freshman like and have like six freshmen at one time and he'll and they'll be horrible. You're like, man, this is this is not going well. Four years later, they win the league. You know, (laughs) one of the best teams in the league and they and they go to the sweet 16 or go to the elite eight or something like that. Bruce Weber is a long play coach. He's like, I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to do it baby. Yeah. old school. It's all old school. And I got a ton of respect for that. And I think that Bruce Weber is an underrated X's and O's guy. Uh, I mean, he, he's been to a final four. There's a reason that he has been able to continually like have pretty good teams, even if they've got some of these lulls that they go through that he, team that he had in 2019 with Dean Wade and Barry Brown and Xavier Sneed and uh, Mike McGraw, who's still on the team, but that team was as good as anybody out there, man. Like I will, I will take that forever until Dean Wade's uh, legs started betraying him. Um, man, that team was as good as anybody in the country, I think. So uh, that's just, a, that's why I love Bruce Weber. The, Bruce Weber is a good coach and it's, it's going to be an emotional day, Scott, because I think that the reality is this is very well could be Bruce Weber's last trip to Hilton Coliseum based on the the way that the winds are blowing
2: right now in Manhattan. Man, that's wild. I know. I didn't realize that there was that much of a disdain for him within Kansas State.
1: Well, I think it's just the, they look at it as like, we're tired of being average and we feel like we can be good every year, which I don't know how realistic that is really at Kansas State. But I mean, like I said, dude, like they've won the league and like, it's not like they've been, yeah, they've had a couple bad years, but I feel like his good years should be good enough to outweigh the bad years, you know? So I don't know. That's just my personal opinion. I don't know what the expectation for Kansas state basketball should be on a yearly basis. I don't know that Kansas state's ever been so good that it's like, man, we should compete to win the league every season, you know? Right. Well,
2: and I mean, obviously there's always a carousel coaching carousel every year, but okay. So you want to get rid of Bruce Weber. And I mean, he coached one of my all time favorite teams growing up. I mean, that team with uh, at Illinois, with Luther yep. Head, Dee Brown, and De'Aaron Williams. And uh, was it James Augustine? Was it James? It was last name was Augustine, right?
1: Yeah, I think that's Powell.
2: right. Yeah. yeah. Powell. yeah. Uh, I watched them play the Badgers in Madison. And uh, I mean, they were, that wasn't, that was art on the floor. I mean, the, that motion offense that they ran. I mean, it always helps when you've got a top five pick on your team, but. Yeah. I'm with you. I, I mean, I think the guy can coach and it's like, okay, so you want to get rid of him. Well, who are you going to get? Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. You know, you, you'd, you'd hate to trade away Tyrese Halliburton and only get uh, you know, Sabonis for him. Right. Well, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. That's a, a
1: perfect way to put it. I don't, I don't <laughs> know who they would get. Cause and I, I'm sure that they would think that there's someone like in there. I don't know in the Kansas state basketball family that maybe would be, maybe they'll hire Michael Beasley. (laughs) I I don't know. I have no idea. I don't even know who's got Kansas state connections or anything like that. That would be uh, a viable candidate. Maybe Frank Martin will come back. I think he's about to get fired at South Carolina. So.
2: Funny story about Michael Beasley. We scrimmaged Kansas state when he was a freshman and I was at Marquette Mm -hmm. and in the scrimmage, you had 41 and 10. And every time he would make a basket, he would run up and down the court and say, I'm Beasley. Every time. I don't know what the joke was. I don't get, but like, I mean, and he had 41, so it happened a lot. And um, yeah, I, so I, I very much remember that. And then I also remember we got beat by them. And in Tom Crean fashion, we then had a two hour practice after the scrimmage, which after the scrimmage which was not uh, abnormal Productive. for to have things like that happen when Tom Crean was on the scene. So it,
1: it, man, Tom Crean's on the hot seat too, down in, uh, down in Georgia. Yes. Um, he and
2: he's a good basketball coach. I do like Tom. I I mean, he will, you're going to learn physical and mental toughness with him. Like, you know, yeah. like nobody else I've ever played for, but uh, man, that guy wore you out. Like a, physically, mentally, emotionally, he was a lot.
1: The, The general consensus that I've been able to gather from, I obviously don't know Tom Crean. I have no connection to him whatsoever. Uh, The general consensus I've been able to gather is that he does not fit today's age of athletes very well in uh, in what his approach to the game is.
2: Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of respect for him just because I did play for him. I think he's a really good guy and you know, he's had success and obviously he hasn't of late and I don't want to be a guy to throw cheap shots and bag on him, but I would agree with that. And I just think because he's never played the game, I think he really struggled. I think there's like a disconnect he has with like, like athletes aren't robots and they can't just go out there and just, yeah. I mean, we like, it would be February right now, man. And we would be doing like drills every day we're like, we just basically roll the ball out and fight for it. Like after we just came back from a road trip, like, and I just think to your point in today's environment and, you know, with all the, I I just, it's a lot uh, more of a transparent world now today than it was back then, as far as social media and all that stuff. I mean, as players, you probably don't have as much patience for some of that stuff. And maybe he's scaled it back. I haven't talked to Tom since he left Marquette. So I don't know him well by any means, but uh yeah, no, I know he's on the hot seat. I hope he's able to figure it out and and, and and keep his job there. But yeah, that was that was a funny Michael Beasley story. So if he ends up being the coach, that'll be the that'll be my memory of him.
1: All right. So let me ask you this. Where does Michael Beasley rank
2: among college players you've seen? He was tough, man. He was so tough. Um as far as a power forward or like a four or a five. I mean, he was probably as gifted of a scorer as I played against or seen play in my time in college. I mean, Blake Griffin was obviously at Oklahoma. He was in my class, but he was more of just like a raw athlete, you know, run jumped up like Michael Beasley. I mean, give him the ball anywhere inside of 19 feet and the guy can get you a bucket, shoot it, drive it, play with his back to the basket, quick off the floor on the offensive boards. I'm trying to think of anybody else that I could have compared his ability level to as a college scorer for the big position. I mean, he was, he was a handful, man.
1: Yeah. His career probably would be a little bit different if he came into the league now than when he did in whatever that was like 2009. Yeah, uh, If I remember correctly, my man liked to smoke, smoke weed a little bit too much for like 2009. And I think that that really hampered him. So, you know, now I don't think that that would be near as big of a deal, but I think that that was a much bigger deal like 13 years ago than it is today. So, uh, all right. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know with this game tomorrow. I don't know how much it really matters, like what Kansas state's going to do or anything like that. It, it matters that Iowa state comes out and what we talked about in the first segment, all about the urgency, these, uh, the, the desire to go out and like be the more aggressive team, be the more physical team and be the, the one who takes it to Kansas state rather than letting take Kansas state, take it
2: to them. Completely agree. I I think it's, I think it's honestly going to be that way for much from here on out. I mean, until, until this team gets back to playing with the level of intensity and focus and determination that they were earlier this year, you know, it's not to say that you can't talk X's and O's. I just, to me, until that's the foundation again, I think we're – what are we really talking about? You know what I mean? So right. I, I, I hope that I see that team tomorrow, and then we can start talking about X's and O's again. But, yeah, I'm with you, man, 100%.
1: All right. Let's talk about Tyrese real quick. Then Tyrese Halliburton traded earlier this week to the Indiana Pacers uh, in a package with Buddy Heald and Tristan Thompson, man, all big 12 guys uh, leaving the Kings there um, in exchange for Demonis Sabonis, Jeremy Lamb, and Justin Holiday. Dude, I. this is why the Sacramento Kings are the Sacramento Kings, why they have not been to the NBA playoffs in I think it will. This is going to be the twentieth consecutive season that they will miss the playoffs. I mean, I I don't even know what logic could ever possibly. You know how fired up I am about this, dude. I'm about to. Go I know. Off. I, I, I'm, I'm about to go off. we talking
2: about this because I uh, the, we, the the public needs to hear
1: this, dude. I don't understand what mental gymnastics could have been done in the Sacramento Kings war room to say yes to this trade. I don't got anything against Amonis Simonis. The guy has been an all-star, is a really good player, and he's a great offensive player, but he can't can't defend anybody. The Kings can't defend anybody. They probably should have given up 140 to the Timberwolves the other night uh, if if the Timberwolves can make a layup. But to give up a guy who has seven years of team control left, is 21 years old, has a dynamic personality, has proven to be, if not the second best – at worst, the second best player on your team and is arguably one of the best young guards in all of basketball, give him up for a guy that's got two years left on his contract, could be a free agent in two seasons, and you have no idea if if Damanis Sabonis gets you any closer to not only winning a title, but to even making the playoffs. Come on, man. Like, this is crazy. This is next level crazy. And I don't know what in the world they thought that they were doing. If the Kings had an opportunity to get Ben Simmons, I don't know why they wouldn't have done it. And now at the end of the day, I'm glad that Tyrese got his ass out of there because I don't want Tyrese to be in a position where he's got to play with a front office. That is as as incompetent as the Sacramento Kings apparently
2: are. Yep. I, uh, and I know this one burns a little bit because there was, uh, some rumblings about him maybe going to the Sixers and you're a big Sixers fan. So this one sings, I honestly, um, Indiana could have added five first round picks into that package. And if I'm the Kings, I'm still not pulling the trigger because I just, how often do you get a chance to draft a kid who is one of the fastest ascending young guards in the NBA, six foot five, like you said, dynamic personality. I mean, the type of person you want to build your team around on and off the court for an organization that has been dying for that for going on 20 years now. Mm -hmm. I know that De'Aaron Fox is there and they're two technically, you know, point guards or whatever, but like I would rather solve the riddle of figuring out how to get those two to play together. Cause you've got a lot of money with De'Aaron. Um, then give up. I just know how many young, how many people are 21 years old in the NBA have the on and off the court game that Tyrese does like 10, maybe 10, maybe, maybe, maybe. Right. And and, that, and the reason I say you could give me five first round picks even if I'm picking in the top 10 for the next five years, I still might not get a chance to draft a kid of that caliber. So, right. um, Good for him for being able to get out of uh, what's been a poorly run organization for the last 20 years. Uh, And, and, and hopefully he's able to have a lot of success on the court in Indiana. I mean, obviously Indiana really wanted him, So I'm sure they've got some big plans for him, but man, if you're a Kings fan, it's like, I don't know you how just, you stay on the bandwagon you just drafted Joe Burrow. And yeah. you're like, you know what? We really need a, a left tackle. Right. So Joe, you know, we'll, we'll draft you next year again. Like what? <laughs> yeah. It
1: doesn't make any sense, man. And I, I think that the Kings even are the only ones who gave up any draft picks in the deal, which like is the other part that doesn't make any sense about it. So <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, like I said, I'm glad Tyrese got out of there, but it, It hurt to watch that video of him yesterday in his first time talking with the media and talk about how much it hurt because of how he had thrown himself into the Sacramento community so much and to just get traded like that, especially a couple weeks after they'd said they were going to build around him and De'Aaron Fox. He was clearly misled by the King's front office. And I think that that's really unfortunate because he's way too good of a a kid to get treated that way.
2: Yeah. I'm sure that's going to, those sorts of moves are the ones where NBA free agents are like, man, I want to go play for an organization like that. That's
1: why no one wants to play there. That's why they (laughs) suck. That's why they suck. And that's why they're going to continue to suck is because
2: of stupid stuff like that. And they've been doing it forever, you know? And, and, and I think Tyrese clearly, you know, took it to heart to like try to build that place up. And again, that's like, I mean, look, I, most NBA guys, I don't know them personally, but I'm sure they're very good people, but to find a young guy who is, he talks like a guy who's 28 or yeah. 30 and he's 21 years old, three years from now might be the best point guard or one of the two or three best point guards in the league who takes it upon himself to want to rebuild the franchise, want to be a big part of the community and you find a way to get rid of him. Whoever made that decision, they can just save themselves and it just fired them. It's time to move on. Yeah. And it, the thing that like, you just know how respected
1: Tyrese is in the game is because people like JJ Reddick, who I don't know how many more people, how many people in the game are more respected than JJ is in just basketball circles. And like the way that he has been drawn to Tyrese, like that tells you how much people in the NBA love Tyrese. And that's why I just, it made no, it just made no sense on so many different levels. And I don't know. Like I, I, I have a buddy who uh, decided to like go all in on the Kings this year. And then this happened. He's like, I'm out. I'm not doing it. He's like, I can't, I can't deal with a franchise with this level of incompetence. Like that's yeah, just no. it's
2: insane. So, all right. As a Sixers fan, one quick one before we yeah. got to get going. What are you, what are your thoughts on the James Harden deal, man? I, I...
1: I'm skeptical, dude. I'm skeptical. I, I, I think the first thing I have to say is I'm glad that the Ben Simmons deal is over. It, it was, I've been ready for that for a long time, obviously, but man, I just, I don't know. I'm skeptical of any situation where you're taking the ball out of the hands of your MVP front runner, big man, you know, and Joel Embiid is a guy who needs the basketball in his hands. He's not uh, Clint Capella, you know, who's just going to go and catch lobs and things like that. He's a true back to the basket, big man. Obviously we know how much James needs the ball in his hands that he is horrible off the ball. Can't really do anything outside of, uh, of being an isolation player. So I don't know. I'm going to kind of reserve judgment on it because I, there's a lot of people out that are smart basketball people that think it's going to be a good move. I don't think it's going to work out that well. I just, I'm I am going to reserve judgment until I get an opportunity to watch them play. But right yeah.
2: now, I am skeptical. That would is the best way I think I can. Buy. Yeah, you you hope your gut is wrong, and that this ends up being a wild success for. I mean, because he is thirty two, I believe. Yeah, thirty two years old. So yeah. I mean, you start to get much past thirty two, and there there's just not. It's this isn't a hey four year plan. This is like a one maybe one more season after this plan. Um, and that's why I would have liked to see him get Tyrese is
1: because Joel still is not very old, you know, obviously we know his injury history and things like that, that have kept him off the court. But I mean, it's not as long as he stays healthy, it's not crazy to think like Joel's got more than a handful of years left of being an MVP type of player. So if you could get a guy like Tyrese that you can put with him and you keep a Tyrese Maxi, you keep a Matisse Thibel, like you're building a core that can last for a long time and be a really good team for a long time. You go get James Harden. It's like, okay, we might be good. Like you might be good for two years. And then what do you got to do? Go find another guy, you know? So who knows? Like that, it just feels like this was a very we are going to take advantage right now, which I, okay. I get to an extent, because again, we know what Joel's injury history is, but I think that there is still some room to build like a sustainable thing for the future that they missed out on. That was, I yeah, it didn't have to be like a
2: team. one one and a half year all in and then, you know, reboot and rebuild. And I mean, James was in my class and I've always been a huge fan of his game. I mean, wow. You know, talk about a guy that's just. Continue to get better and better, but you know, he's on the, the end of his Career most likely. And, and to your point, he's a guy that needs the ball in his hand to make a difference. Not really a factor when he doesn't have the ball in his hand. I wouldn't say he has the reputation of being a plus defender right, or anything like that. And, uh, I don't know. I mean, I maybe it's my Iowa state goggles are on, but I just, I look at a guy like Tyrese and I'm like, man, that guy is a dude that wants to build a franchise and like winning a championship to him really it means more to him than going to the all-star game right and i don't know that it's that way for all of the stars in the nba and i i did, that's what i just think makes a guy like that so special so i think the sixers missed out on an opportunity to get a guy that can help you win now but also you can build around for the next 6 or 7 years but you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the veteran, you know, maybe James has got another run or two left in him, and he's obviously a veteran player, a lot of playoff experience. So it could work, but I'm kind of with you in that. I a little skeptical of it at first.
1: My other thing is that James clearly has not done very much to make himself any friends in either of his last two stops. I mean, it clearly didn't end well in Houston. It didn't end well in, in Brooklyn. And I know that there's a lot, especially in Brooklyn, there's a lot going on. Katie's always hurt. The whole Kyrie deal is weird. So I know like there's a lot happening here, but it, I mean, I think anybody who watched the all-star NBA all-star draft last night, or even saw the clips from it, there is not very much love lost, I think in that entire scenario. So that's where I, I just, I sit there and I'm like, I don't know. You brought in a guy who was clearly highly unpredictable and yeah, you got rid of Ben Simmons. I guess Lolo wants to say hi to, to Scott right here. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What, I don't know what you that want. That is a cute dog, man. Yeah. She's, she's something else. I don't know what she wants. Uh, yeah. And it just is a highly unpredictable situation. So I don't know. We'll see, but yeah, I, I, I,
2: well, and I guess my point, yeah, I agree with you and I think that James doesn't strike me as a guy that is obsessed with trying to win a championship. I'm not saying he doesn't want to win one, but there's a difference, right? It's like, to me, that's what makes Tom Brady different. If they had to run the ball 50 times to win the game, then we're going to run it 50 times. If I've got to throw for 500 yards then get on my back and I'm carrying you, but I'm doing whatever we have to do to win the championship. And I don't think some of the more physically gifted quarterbacks Uh, one that I've rooted for for a long time in green Bay have necessarily always subscribed the back-to-back like they want to win, but they kind of want to win their way. Right. Where like a guy like Tyrese, uh, you know, just the way he comes off and how he presents himself and then watching his game just seems like a guy that would be completely comfortable scoring five points in a game, grabbing 10 rebounds and playing lockdown defense. If that's what he thought was the team's best interest to win the game yeah. And again, I think to me, that's what makes him such like a, a multidimensional special young prospect.
1: I'm right there with you, man. All right, buddy. We'll uh, we'll talk again on Monday after uh, after Saturday and hopefully we'll have uh, some more happy stuff to talk,
2: man, about. man. We need, we need some positivity in cyclone nation. Come yeah. on guys. Like we need yeah. it. We need
1: the good vibes. All right. We'll talk to everybody soon. Have a great weekend. Peace.